take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Hi, and welcome to our latest edition of Field Preachers. My name is Rachel Gilmore. I'm the Director of Recruiting, Assessing, and Training at Discipleship Ministries with our Church Planting Division. And uh, we've selected a really special story for you tonight. I am so excited for you to hear about the journey of Stacy Piacum. She's a church planter in Texas, the planter at Melissa UMC in Melissa, Texas. And her story is unique because she received the call about planting a church and made the decision to leave her church and start off on this new journey on Christmas Eve. So her church planting story begins right where we are today. It's Christmas Eve, and as we await the birth of the Christ child, this is a time full of expectation and hope. Stacy was full of expectation and hope as she took this huge risk, and I cannot wait for you to hear more about her experience as we listen to her story together on this holy evening. So my name is Stacey Piacun. I'm the pastor at Melissa United Methodist, which is a new church start that's become a multi-site at First United Methodist Church McKinney. Um, it was started as a mother-daughter plant with a founding pastor, and in the first 18 months kind of grew on the typical sort of what we call an older model of planting on a mother-daughter plant, um, but it kind of functioned like a parachute drop and had a good start and then after those first few months really sort of plummeted down to about five families and so i'm the second pastor that was appointed to that church uh, i got the call from the cabinet to come to melissa and when i looked at the community and the folks that are around in that community what i saw were were educated smart folks who run their own businesses and um, do all kinds of really great things around town and really no reason why a church in this situation shouldn't be thriving. And so after praying about it, my husband and I really felt like this is where God was calling us to be. So we purchased a home in Melissa and a good friend of mine uh, who actually has recorded some of these podcasts as well, uh, didn't tell me till months afterwards that he really saw that as a huge leap of faith for our family to move to a town and buy a house in a town where there were five families and a church that was absolutely failing. Um, but we felt like that was where God was calling us to go. So I left the church that I was serving uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, turned my keys into a, it was a large church as an associate pastor on staff and started at the new church basically on December 26th. Wow, what year was this? Uh, this was in 2014. So the church had been meeting regularly for 18 months um, and the former pastor had nested a little bit before that. Um, so. Yeah, so we uncovered lots of things in that early time period. Uh, the first week that I was there at the church, I gathered our leadership and asked them if there was one thing that we could do between January 1st and Easter of 2014, what would it be that would be successful to them? Like if we only fixed one thing, because everything was broken. Um, and there was no way that we could fathom fixing all of that at once. And so um, the thing that they wanted to fix was the number of adults in worship. So in 2013, we had averaged 40 adults in worship. Um, prior to me arriving, and what they wanted to do was by Easter at least touch double the number of adults in worship. So they wanted to hit the number 80 adults in worship at least one time. In four months. In four months. So everything we did in that four months rotated around that goal, and they would tell me lots of other things that, that needed to be done, and I had a crazy spreadsheet where I would just put them in categories in months, and so once a month I would check that spreadsheet and figure out like what was kind of on the docket for us to fix. 
um, that month, and um, we did it. Uh, we hit 80 adults in worship by Easter of that first year. Wow. Yeah. How? Uh, lots of different ways. We had a lot of folks that were mildly connected to our church that maybe had come a few times, maybe hadn't had a great experience, but their friends were there or they were just kind of waiting for a change to happen. And so um, I did a lot of cold calls to doorways. Um, all the folks in our leadership would give me a list of here are the folks we needed to go meet. And I would make a phone call and introduce myself and just say, hey, I just like I'm the new pastor. I just want to come hear your story. Like I know some of you have a church already. You're going back to the church in McKinney or you're connected somewhere else. Just want to hear your story because at that point I was kind of playing catch up on learning everything that had happened. And really even, you know, with the conference and our, our church in McKinney too, trying to figure out what had happened because nobody really knew. And um, so did lots of that work. So that's how we did it. Um, and they did that work as well, right? So here's a list of people I'm calling. Here's a list of people you're calling. Um, we did some crazy things like a March Madness membership drive where um, we got a free $100 gift card from a steakhouse in McKinney. And um, for every guest people brought, they and their guests got entered in a little drawing. And then Keith and I, my husband and I, took them out to dinner at using this $100 gift card so it wasn't quite as expensive for us or for the church um, and enjoyed that time. So we just built lots of relationships. Yeah. So you hit that 80 goal. We hit the 80. People are excited. We started looking and praying for property in town. So we had a property team that was made up of trustees from our church in McKinney and folks from Melissa in as well. And there's like seven miles in between McKinney and Melissa. So it's geographically very close, but community-wise is very different, right? Melissa's kind of a small um, suburban setting that really functions like a small-town community, and McKinney is like a bigger suburban area, right? Um, so those two groups came together and we started looking and praying over property in town. We engaged a, a real estate broker that helped us look for things. We found a piece of property that we felt like would be great for our church, that we felt like God was calling us to. And in the time in which we found it, it went from a quarter million dollars to a half million dollars. And we had zero dollars. So that was inconvenient. Um, <laughs> Really inconvenient. Talked to our senior pastor at McKinney, Tommy Brummett, and he, um, in a series of meetings, he and I would sit in together, uh, would just mention to folks, hey, we have this opportunity and we'd just like you to pray about it. Um, after we did that for a few days, um, we actually had a member of the McKinney Church call and purchase that property on behalf of the church and offer to hold it at cost for as long as possible until the church could purchase that property back. What? So starting really the beginning of 2015. Um, actually, it was the end of 2014. I think we bought the property. Beginning of 2015, we started master planning, um, which is a very different question of what is God calling us to do with this piece of farmland? Wow. Right? What are the needs of the community? What are the gifts of our church? Where do those two things match up? And what does that mean for a building? And what did you guys come up with? So our first phase is um, is a... <laughs> is just a worship space pretty much. It's 7,600 square feet. It's a worship space that'll seat 300-ish people, 350. It's a coffee shop that has a drive-through window that will stay open seven days a week. And because we're on a residential side of town, um, where when the major highway that goes through that part of Dallas closes, uh, all the cars reroute to this side of, of town and they all come down because it runs parallel north-south. And so um, it has that, has a couple nursery rooms and it has one office just so we've got a place to lock up our staff stuff. And that's all that's in that building. So we'll do our education space in portables. But that was 2015, and it's now 2019. And we don't have a building. Um, we are worshiping in the school. We set up and we take down every week. 
We have a thousand square foot ministry office that we meet in throughout the week and we use for everything from childcare to children's ministry to youth choir to youth ministry to adult Bible studies to our seniors group, men's breakfast. Uh, we've hosted baby showers in a thousand square feet. Um, we've invited our community to come to the front porch and sign posters in support of our school district. So we do a lot of things at a multi-purpose 1,000 square foot space um, throughout How the How did you find that space? We have looked at every space in town. So pretty much any space that becomes available, we look at it and figure out if it's viable for ministry. So um, the other space we use is a historic house in town that the city allows us to, to rent. And so we pretty much do bedrooms out of, or ministry out of a bedroom, a living room, and a kitchen that have all been fit into conference rooms or, or meeting spaces of some type. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So when do you anticipate the building being? That's a really great question. Um, <laughs> A couple years ago, that's the best answer. <laughs> we anticipated being in that building a couple years ago. Um, but Welcome not. to Planton. We yeah. got stuck for about 18 months waiting on the Texas Department of Transportation. We got stuck mm. for a little while with some things related to the civil engineering of our property. Um, so we're now through preliminary planning and zoning and um, some of the other preliminary stages. Hopefully in the next six months or so, we'll be ready to break ground. Mm. It's an interesting challenge in our plant, right? Because we had a rocky, rocky start and then spent two years of turning the thing around and then um, kind of hit this, what we call the wilderness period, where we just sort of, you know, energy, it's hard to keep energy up and um, it's hard to feel like there's momentum and people are still absolutely engaged and attached to this church because it brings meaning to their lives. Um, and yet at the same time, it's really, really hard work. And um, so we kind of hit this period where it's like we are established and um, we've done all the hard work of turning it around, but we're not quite there yet. And so mm. that's been a real challenge. Somewhere in the middle of that, um, really in the summer of 2018, um, we had a conversation where we really began a serious conversation about discipleship because we'd done little bits of that, but we'd gotten to a place where people had started to articulate that we had a volunteer problem, which I refused to say from the front of the church because I just kept feeling like it wasn't a volunteer problem. It was a discipleship problem. Mm. It was people who, um, you know, how, and we all had slipped into this, me too, right? We want to come to church. We want to do the church things. We want to leave. We want to not put in the extra effort. And um, I pulled our leadership in the church together and had a conversation about how this church had, had really changed not just my ministry, but my marriage and my family um, and, and the way I understood God to work in the world around us. And that what really was leaving me in a place where I was feeling a lot of discontent was that I looked at our leadership and felt like, while I knew many of them wanted that, they weren't actually achieving that for themselves mm. in the middle of that moment. And so um, we started several small groups nearly overnight. As a response to this, we have a problem and I can't fix it for you, right? I can't make you engage in a group. I can't, I can't make sure that you're doing these things. I can't set your priorities for you. Um, I can't figure out how to use your finances in your home. All I can do is be a guide and be an advocate and be a friend along the way um, on this journey. And so our folks really did a great job of starting some new things, some of which took, some of which didn't take, and we're trying again this year. Um, but it made a huge monumental difference in the momentum of our church for us to actually stop talking about the building as an answer start talking about the building as a tool for ministry when we get there and start talking about what God was doing in the middle of our lives right now. Wow. Yeah. So if you're to look at like these last five years, like mm -hmm. and everything that you guys have accomplished and experienced together from the wilderness to where you are now, 
Like, what do you think Melissa UMC is celebrating and what are they struggling with right now? Hmm. I think we are absolutely celebrating the fact that we are a church in our community that's building relationships. Um, so uh, I'm obviously a female pastor and a female planter in a in a community that's relatively conservative in its theology. And so they are male pastors and male school board members and male city council members with the exception of one and a lot of male leadership in our community. And so um, I get invited into a lot of spaces that I don't often, that I'm the only woman in the room. Mm. And so that's really something that has opened some doors for us as a church and that we do celebrate is the fact that we're invited into some spaces as a congregation um, that allow us some unique ministry opportunities, whether that's with um, folks who are struggling with mental illness or are suffering from suicidal desperation or folks who are LGBTQ, um, folks who identify somewhere on the queer spectrum. It allows us to come in alongside of them and say, you know what, I, I may not have all the answers, but we're going to be a church that's going to love you uh, the way you are. And so that's been a real gift to us. Mm -hmm. um, our biggest challenges, I think, really are space, right? I mean, we, we outgrow our spaces and there's not yeah. spaces in our community, right? Lots of our communities are blessed to have, you know, places where you can find a space or an old church or something that will be able to to accommodate enough folks in worship, right? In my context, we really need a space that's going to worship two to 300 people in worship. There are literally no spaces in my community that are open and available for us to do that. And so we have to build it. We don't have another choice. And so that leaves us in a situation where we're renting school space and where we're really kind of piecemealing space together um, in a way that it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle when our team sits down and figures out where are all these pieces going for, for the year or for a really busy night or how do we work a, a fall festival Sunday when children's ministry, youth ministry, and adults all have things going on? <laughs> what community spaces do we need and what spaces can we use and how do we move all the pieces around to make that work? So it's probably our biggest challenge. Um, it's also probably one of our biggest blessings because it keeps us from getting comfortable. Mm -hmm. And it makes sure that we're really asking a question about priorities and about what's most important at any given moment for our church. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. What does your staff structure or leadership team look like? So I, we have two of us that are full-time, myself as lead pastor and then my uh, director of worship. And then we have three part-time staff as well. Um, we have a part-time children's, part-time youth, and a part-time administrative assistant. We actually call her our, our director of care and communication um, because she's way more than an administrative assistant. She mm -hmm. handles lots of things on lots of different spectrums. We did have a ministry intern who came with us for a few years and kind of a, a couple gap years between high school and college as he was um, getting himself in a, in a mentally healthy place. And so we were super blessed to have a 18 and 19 year old on our staff who um, kind of grew up with us in an environment where we operate really closely together. Wow. Yeah. So with someone, you know, in the uncertainty of this system with, you know, everything coming up in Methodism, everything that's going on. If someone was just getting a call to plant or just started planting in the last, let's say, 18 months or whatnot, what advice would you give them? What life lessons mm. could you impart to them to help them on their journey? So when I started, I went to lots of different training things. And one that is cemented in my memory was we were sitting with some church planters in Georgia. And honestly, I can't even remember who it is, but I will <laughs> never remember or I'll never forget them saying to me, it is the, the hardest and the most rewarding thing you'll do and stay as long as you can and you'll be okay on the other side. Mm. And I've held on to those words because it is, it is the hardest 
and the most rewarding thing you'll ever do. Um, it will push every aspect of your, your spiritual life. Um, it will challenge you in the way you see the church. It will challenge you in the way you see relationships within the church. It will challenge you in the way in which you see the kingdom of God. And when you take those challenges as the blessings that they are, it rewards you in a way that allows you to see that God's always at work doing some really big stuff. And being a church planter puts you on the front edge of being able to be a part of that. Okay, I could not agree more with everything that you said. Yeah. And I guess I have one last question than yeah. anything else you feel like you want to share, sure. share with us. I feel like I would be remiss having planted myself in an area that was pretty conservative, like mm. the Christian Broadcasting Network, you know, 700 Club was there, Pat Robertson. Yeah. Um, and so not as many people were looking for a female-led church in that community. Mm. What advice would you give a young female planter mm. that might not know how she's going to be received in her community. I will borrow the words of Joshua and say, be bold and courageous, right? They're actually God's words in the book of Joshua, but um, be bold and courageous, right? I've had some crazy things happen in that community. I've had um, my kids invite other kids over for playdates and they haven't been allowed to come because I'm a woman pastor. Um, I've also had the opportunity to build friends um, in in kind of an interfaith situation with our friends at the Church of Latter-day Saints who have become really our greatest allies and advocates in town, which nobody understands. Um, and so I would say be bold and courageous, right? Step into the places mm -hmm. where you know you have authority to step in and be a witness and a voice for people who don't often see a, a female minister, a female pastor, um, and yet may have a daughter or a sister or a mom or they themselves have felt a call to ministry and nobody has been there to say, this is actually something that's open for you. Um, I've had women who have come through my church and voiced a call to ministry because they've grown up in a different tradition um, and they thought they had to be missionaries or educators or whatever it looked like in their tradition. And they've ended up being hospital chaplains and they've ended up going to seminary to study social justice. And they've ended up coming into ministry and saying, you know what, I think I'm, I think I'm going to be a licensed local pastor. And so um, they don't always go a traditional way of saying, hey, I'm going to go into ordination because sometimes it's really hard in our system the way it is right now. Mm -hmm. They're absolutely finding places to claim their authority in ministry. And that's girls that are 10 years old and are coming forward and saying, I want to read scripture in church. And uh, girls who are teenagers and are wanting to lead worship and are finding their place. Um, and all the way up to adults who are finding those other roles that are either bivocational or there's something that they've always had a yearning to do and nobody's opened up the door. So be bold and courageous. Wow. That's amazing. It's a good yeah. word. It's, it's a good word. It is literally yeah. the good word. It us, is. Right? So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's a great response. Yeah. I just love getting to know you and like hearing your story and yeah. the amazing work that you're doing here Thanks. in Texas. So. Thank you for your faithful ministry. You're welcome. Yay, I'm here for you. Yay. I'm praying for you. We'll be bold and courageous together. That's right. In whatever context we find ourselves. Correct. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. All right. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I learned a lot from what Stacy shared with us. Something that stuck out to me was the fact that you know, it's been years and they're still meeting in a school every single week. They don't have a building yet and they have to be creative. They, they might have a thousand square feet of rented warehouse space, but most of us live in homes way larger than the space she has to operate an entire ministry out of that reaches hundreds of people. We need to be creative with space and, and remind ourselves that a church isn't a building. It is the people. I mean, in fact, I think the first actual Christian church building ever 
constructed was like 200 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. So for 200 years, we didn't need a building and Stacy doesn't either. I love that about her. And I love that even a few years in, they realized what might be a struggle for their community is that they didn't have an intentional discipleship plan, that people were starting to plateau or um, get complacent in their faith and that they really had to ratchet it up when it comes to discipleship and how we understand and know more about God and ourselves. So I think all churches could benefit from looking at the life of their church and thinking through that discipleship piece. If you haven't checked out our website on See All the People or Intentional Discipleship System, Discipleship Ministries has a lot of really great resources that have benefited Stacy and can help you as well. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Field Preachers and that you will join us next week. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.